Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. By show of hands, who thinks there will not be food in heaven? Who thinks there will be food in heaven? Wow, okay. Better food. I remember having that conversation with a friend of mine uh, on vacation, and I said, oh, there's definitely going to be food in heaven. You know, Revelation 21 is the banquet of the lamb, right? And he said, so you mean to tell me there's going to be chicken wings in heaven? I'm like, well, I don't know, but it has something very tangential to do with what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) We've been in a series called As Intended, where we've been looking in the book of Matthew at everything Jesus said and didn't say about relationships. And one of the things we've seen is that Jesus of Nazareth said the meaning of life is love. Relationship is the intended purpose of our existence. And so this Easter morning, I want to talk to you about what I've called the revival of love. Holy Week is all about the story of God's love for us, that Jesus gave himself on the cross. He entered into the depths of human suffering and death for our sake. And we all know the story, hopefully, of Good Friday, that he died for our sins and was buried. And yet... Christianity didn't begin on Good Friday. It began on Sunday with the proclamation of a piece of unbelievable news. And so I want to read from the conclusion of Matthew's gospel where Matthew gives his eyewitness account of this news. So Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1, And I'll make a couple comments along the way. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, which is the Sunday after the crucifixion, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, and so this is Matthew's invitation for us now to see. He says, look, behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And I'm emphasizing here the sensory language that we get through this whole passage. It says, His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So these are the guards that the the Pharisees had put at the tomb to make sure the disciples wouldn't come and steal the body. And here we've got this irony that the men who had been put there to guard a dead man themselves become like dead men. And it says they literally quaked with fear. There's a bit of wordplay in the Greek there. And it says, but the angel said to the women, 
So now they're not only seeing, they're not only feeling the earthquake, but they're hearing the voice of the angel. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And just notice here that the angel didn't roll away the stone so that Jesus could get out. He rolled away the stone so that the women could see in to the grave. Jesus was already gone. Verse 7, he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, look, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, look, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And this is actually hilarious kind of in the Greek because it's so understated. You know, Jesus has just conquered death. He's just reversed the grave. And and the first thing he says is, hey, (laughs) hi. And it says they came and took hold of his feet. They grabbed him and worshiped him. And and Matthew is just so strongly over and over again, emphasizing all the sensory language, the, the physicality of all this. All the senses are involved here. This is not a spirit. This is not a hallucination. It's a person with a real physical body. And then verse 10 says, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So I said earlier, Christianity is basically a piece of news. And it begins right here as these women ran to tell what they'd seen and told the disciples, he is risen. And so immediately we're confronted with three questions. What happened? Why does it matter? And how does it impact our relationships? Because we're talking about relationships. What we're going to see is that because love himself revived in the flesh, it makes the revival of our bodies secure, and it means our relationships eternally endure. So what happened? Let's look quickly at what happened, because this is key. The Bible says everything hangs on this event. Everything hangs on the resurrection. And if it didn't happen, if it didn't happen physically, actually, historically, if Jesus went to the cross and died and stayed dead, then the Bible itself says, forget about all this. This is complete waste of your time. And even worse than that, it's a misrepresentation of God if that's as far as the story goes. But if it did happen... Everything, absolutely everything is different now. Everything has changed. And so you really need to know whether this is true. So my first point is here that the resurrection happened in history. You say, well, Ian, not everyone believes that. Not every historian believes that. It takes faith to believe that. And of course it does. But here's my reply to that is that it actually takes faith to believe in anything in history or anything that describes reality at all. We don't have to get into that, but my point is that just because it requires faith to believe something, it doesn't mean that we can't know it. And so what do we know? 
Let's outline what we know. Here's a few things that no historian of any belief system would deny. We know that Jesus died on the cross. We know that not only from the gospel accounts, but from Roman external sources. We know that his tomb was empty. Nobody denied that, not even his enemies. We know that his disciples were absolutely convinced that they had met the risen physical bodily Jesus. And we also know that this resulted in something called the Christian movement, the church. So we've got these four undeniable facts. And the question is, how do we account for them? There's lots of different theories. I'm not going to stay parked in this this morning because I can recommend you books. You can go look this up for yourself. But how do we account for these facts? And I think the most striking of these facts is the transformation that we see in the disciples. Okay, Because if you know the story, Friday night, All of them have deserted Jesus. They've abandoned him. They've betrayed him. Saturday, we find them locked in a room, scared for their lives, thinking that they're going to come after them and they're going to suffer the same fate as Jesus. So they're they're hidden away, afraid, mourning, and dejected. Okay? Fast forward to the book of Acts and the New Testament. And the next thing we know, we see the disciples going to the ends of the earth— preaching boldly on the streets, no matter what may happen to them, being willing to die, and many of them, most of them, actually suffering death for this very belief. Specifically, a belief in the fact that Jesus resurrected. So if point A is these disciples hiding in fear, completely, you know, locked down, And point C is them going to the ends of the earth, being willing to die specifically for the belief that Jesus was no longer dead. You have to ask, what happened at B? What possible explanation could account for that absolute transformation in their attitude and character? And you say, well, Ian, people are willing to die for all sorts of stuff. And it's true. But no one's willing to die for something they know is a lie. And the disciples were the only ones in a position to know whether or not this was actually true. And so, like the angel said, come and see. Because when we look into it, the resurrection is something that I believe, and I'm going to encourage you to go find out if you haven't already, this is something we can actually reasonably know happened in history. It's the only sufficient way to explain what actually happened. All right, but we need to go further than that. Because this is not just an event in history. We have to ask, why did it happen? Why does the angel command the women to run and tell the disciples? And from one perspective, you could say, well, okay, so what if Jesus resurrected? So what? He's not dead anymore. What significance does that have to anyone but him. And so the next thing we need to realize is this. The resurrection does more than reverse Good Friday. I remember listening to a debate between the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens, and he pointed out in this debate that the resurrection isn't particularly special. I mean, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. He raised the widow's son. He raised his friend Lazarus. So Jesus resurrected. One more resurrection. Who cares? The fact that Jesus rose doesn't mean or prove anything, he said. Well, one thing that he wasn't aware of was that 
the Bible doesn't actually use the word resurrection for any of those other examples. It says something like they, they revived, they woke up. It doesn't use the word resurrection. It only uses the word resurrection, which is anastasis. It uses it of Jesus, the only person. And so this is more than a reversal of death. This is actually something that the Jews believed was going to happen at the very end of time, suddenly happening in the middle of time. This is not something that anyone expected. And so N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, he says, this isn't just life after death. This is life after life after death. Because all those other people, Lazarus and the others, they went on, they, they revived, but they went on to die again. But what you see in Jesus is he had a completely different kind of body. He had a kind of body that transcended death. It was the same Jesus. He was recognizable. They heard his voice. They felt his, his, his body. They ate with him. They walked with him. But he was also completely different. Jesus was something that had never happened before since the beginning of time. And the purpose was this. The resurrection births a new species of humanity. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in the city of Corinth, about 20 years after these events, it's one of the earliest documents, sources that we have about what the early Christians believed. He says, Jesus' resurrection was a first fruit. It was a, the first fruit is the, the, the first part of the harvest. In other words, he's saying it's a model of the things to come. Jesus' resurrection was a new species of humanity being released onto the earth. So not only did he live again in the same way that he he did before he died, he lived again in a new way. He was something new. He was incorruptible, eternal, deathless. And yet he still had eyes and vocal cords and teeth and feet and scars. He could walk through walls or at least doors. He could appear and disappear. And not because he was less real. Jesus was just as real as he'd always been, except he had an added dimension of reality. And I use this example around Christmas, talking about the incarnation, but it also works for this, in that when you think about, an analogy might be, if you think about a cube as compared to a square, a cube contains all the reality of a square, and yet an added dimension, right? So a square has width and height, and a cube has width and height, but it also has depth. And so it contains the lower reality, but it brings it into a higher reality. And so Jesus had all the same physicality that he's always had, that we have, and yet he had an added dimension of reality. He wasn't less real than he was. He was somehow more real, more substantial. And I love C.S. Lewis's picture of heaven in the, in the great divorce. I'm sorry, this isn't even in my notes, but I have, you know, he just, he lives in my brain. The great divorce, when, when they take the bus ride to heaven and they get out of the bus and they step onto the grass and the grass hurts their feet because it's real. It's more substantial. It's a higher dimension. And so Jesus was giving us a glimpse of the things to come, a model of the things to come. And that is what utterly changed the disciples. Some people say, oh, well, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just kind of, he, he, this is called swoon theory. He was buried and then he woke up and, you know, somehow unwrapped himself 
even though he was mummified and, and rolled away the stone. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to straw man this thing, but, but it doesn't seem convincing to me that he rolls away the stone and then he hobbles over to the upper room and convinces the disciples, you know, all bloody and out of breath that he is the resurrected eternal son of God. And then they go on and, and some people say, well, Jesus, you know, that's what happened. And he went on and, and settled down in France and, and died again. Really, that kind of resurrected Jesus, I don't think, would have set the disciples so on fire that they were willing to die for the belief that this Jesus was not only a human prophet, but this was the resurrected divine son of God. And that is what they clearly believed. Even the most skeptical historians will say the disciples clearly really believed this. What happened? I think this is the only way to explain it. And what Jesus was showing us was not only a reality for himself, he was showing us the future of everyone who belongs to him. And so the next point is this, is that what the the resurrection means for us is that it confirms our empty coffins. Not only confirms his empty grave, it confirms our empty graves. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes this. Again, this is about 20 years after the events. Paul says, if Christ, and by the way, some of the people at the church there did not believe that the resurrection was going to happen. And and Jesus says, well, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those, belong, those who belong to Christ. And so he's saying that just as we all face death by virtue of being human, Paul's saying that if we belong to Christ, we will also be destined to a resurrection like his. And so he's giving birth to a new branch of humanity that's not only destined to death, but it's destined to a resurrection with a glorified body, a higher dimension of reality. And so, you know what this means? Our next point is the resurrection affirms our physical bodies. Because the resurrection shows us that the, the, the future, that life after death is not just a spiritual existence, it's actually a physical existence. It's a material existence. And so, yes, I do believe there's food in heaven. I don't know whether we'll need it to survive, but we'll have it to enjoy. I mean, food's one of the best things in life, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. Well, thinking about a ram or lambs roasting in the, in the instant pot. The point is here, the resurrection is showing us that the bodies that we have, the bodies that we possess, they will be reconstituted in the resurrection to live with Jesus forever in a new heaven, a new earth. And, and newsflash, heaven is not our ultimate destination. Revelation 21 says that we dwell with Christ. We reign with him over a new heaven and new earth. And heaven actually descends to earth and the two overlap. 
And it's a physical existence. And so this is, this is actually the hope that we see David write in Psalm 16, looking forward to this event. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my, my soul to the place of the dead or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think he's talking about something sensory to be experienced. And so everyone in Christ is going to spend eternity in bodies that can eat, touch, taste, hear, move, experience, joy, pleasure. And so what that means is matter, our physicality is good. Because when Jesus resurrected, he didn't escape his body for something better and higher. He brought the body into the higher and glorified it. And so matter matters. The body matters. It's not an accident. It's not something to transcend. The body has a meaning. It has intent. This is why what we do with our bodies is of massive significance. And sometimes there's a feeling that if we could just get past the needs and physicality of the body, then, then we would truly be spiritual. And we would be closer to God. We, we, would, we would be closer to our true selves. And many believe that our bodies are not essential to who we really are, that the body is almost like an annoyance. And one day we'll be free from it. If you find your body to be an annoyance, don't worry, it's going to be glorified. <laughs> but that actually, that whole attitude, it's actually the, an ancient heresy, which means it's not just kind of like an alternate belief. It's a, it's a belief that the church has found out when you, when you follow that way, it ultimately leaves you with no gospel at all. It's called Gnosticism. It's this idea of special secret knowledge. And it's alive and well, not just in the world, but in the church. But here's the thing. If God created us in his image, and it says in, in Genesis, male and female flesh he created, and the Son of God took on that flesh and died in the flesh and resurrected in a glorified flesh and remains, believe it or not, in the flesh right now at the right hand of the Father, it means the flesh means something. It's not a mistake. It's not an add-on. It's somehow central. And we ask, to what? What's the point? of a physical body. Why not become like the angels when we die and float around playing harps for all eternity? Why become physical again? And if you think about it, I love this. So, so Jesus resurrection, it's the most significant from the Christian understanding. It is the most significant single event since the creation of the world. He's conquered death He's given birth to a brand new branch of humanity. He's started this new chapter in the history of the cosmos. And what is the first thing that he does? He goes and greets his friends. He goes and comforts his friend Mary, who's weeping. He goes and forgives his friend Peter, who betrayed him. He goes and assures his friend Thomas, who was doubting. The first thing that Jesus does 
is he goes and restores relationships. He goes and resurrects relationships. And so this is our last point here, that the resurrection transforms our relationships. And it does it in three ways. New context, new power, and new purpose. So first of all, the resurrection forever changes the context of our relationships. Because if you think about it, without the resurrection, if there's no such thing as a resurrection, what it means is death is our ultimate destiny. It's our final destiny. And even the best, even the most loving, nurturing, caring relationships will ultimately be broken by death. And if that's the context, I find it hard to see why our relationships would really have any significance. If they're these short-lived, if your life is just this tiny blip on the, the, the spectrum of all of time and history, how could our relationships be anything more than sentimentality? But if the resurrection happened, it changes that whole context. Because Jesus' resurrection happened, it changes everything. It means our bodily resurrection is secure, which therefore means our relationships will endure. If Jesus really defeated death, it means that I think we go through life longing for a love that will never come to an end. And we're constantly disappointed because all the great things, all the great loves, no matter how good they are, they ultimately do come to an end. And yet if the resurrection is true, there is a love that never comes to an end. And not only in Christ, but between us. If we experience a resurrection like his physically, bodily, where we can recognize one another like he did, where we can walk and talk and eat and and hug and cry and all the things of our physicality, it means our relationships as we know them now are meant to endure. They will endure. And yet, they'll be in this higher dimension. And so, our relationships, in light of the resurrection, they are infinite. They're of infinite eternal significance. Why? Because the people that we're relating with are everlasting beings. We're going to live forever. I wonder how that would affect the way we think about our relationships, the way we treat each other. I'm going to resist another quote from my favorite Oxford Don. So it changes the context. And it gives us, secondly, it gives us a different power, a new power for relationships. Because it's only the resurrection that actually we've been, we've been looking through the book of Matthew and all these dynamics of love that Jesus tells us. Here's the things that actually break down our relationships. Here's the source of the sin and the anger and contempt and lust and manipulation that breaks down our relationships. And he gives us these dynamics of love that actually bring us closer. They restore and they put us in line with what we're intended for. But the only way to actually become that kind of person is in the power of the resurrection. And this is why the Bible says when you give yourself to Jesus, 
what happens? It says, you, you are, you're now in Christ. So whatever happens to Christ is also true of you. It's kind of like when, you're, when you get married, if you have debt, you bring your debt into the marriage and now your, your debt becomes your spouse's debt. But say that your spouse happens to be extravagantly rich. Their riches now become your riches, right? And heaven doesn't believe in prenuptials, all right? <laughs> Agreements. <laughs> but the Bible says when we're in Christ, when he died on the cross, we died on the cross. When we're in Christ, when he resurrected, we resurrected. When we're baptized into Christ, we die with him. And then it says we receive the power of this new life in him. Romans 6 says this. This is another one of Paul's letters. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died, just like when you die, you're free from your debts. This is kind of the thing that he's talking about. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. He will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And so the power of the resurrection, if you're in Christ right now, the power of the resurrection is in you. But it starts with a death. It begins with a death. We have to die to sin because, I can't avoid this one. Lewis said, nothing that doesn't die can have a resurrection. Nothing that doesn't die can have a resurrection. So we have a new context for relationships. We have a new power for relationships, but we also have a new purpose for relationships. Scripture says, I've been talking about those in Christ experiencing a resurrection like his. But actually the Bible says everyone will be resurrected. Everyone will be resurrected. And it says those who are connected to Jesus will be resurrected to an everlasting life. And it says those who choose not to connect themselves to Jesus are resurrected to an everlasting death. And the idea is Jesus is life. He's the source of life. And so if you choose to be disconnected from him, you're headed on a trajectory that only leads to more and more disconnection from life, which is death. And so if that is the destiny of every single living person, it changes our relationships forever. If that's true, then to love people must include this good news that he's risen. It must include, like the angel says, going and telling people that this is true. The angel invited the women. He said, come and see. And he begins this pattern that's been repeating ever since of anyone who sees that this is true. He says, come and see, come and see, look and see whether or not this is true. And that's my invitation to every single one of us here, everyone who's watching this online or or listening to this in future. Look into 
the grave. Investigate the history. Find out. Because this is far too big of a thing to ignore. And actually, when you think about it, ignoring it is the same as rejecting it. And so, if there's even a chance, if there's even one chance in infinity that this could possibly be true, you owe it to yourself to find out. And once you've seen, as the angel said, the next thing he said was, come, he said, come see, and then he said, go tell. This has to be shared, and I would wonder if we find ourselves not sharing it, to what extent do we really think that it's good? To what extent do we really think that it's good news? How can we love people without telling them something like this has actually happened? Once we've heard this and seen for ourselves, how can we not go tell the world and say, let's follow him together? And Jesus tells the women, he says, you've seen me. Now tell the others and follow me where I'm going. And that's what they do. And so I want to read you the verses at the the very end of Matthew's gospel. Verse 16 to 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting? There's room for your doubt this morning. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so our relationships are about now the purpose of proclaiming this resurrection, demonstrating the power of the resurrection in a new community of love and teaching others to do the same. Why teach them? Because this is the life that we're actually made for. We're made for this kind of resurrected, glorious life, a love that never comes to an end. And so like the angel said, I've told you. See, I told you. (laughs) And the question is, what what are you going to do about it? What have you done with it if you've already heard it and accepted this news? Are you in Christ this morning? Have you looked into the tomb? Have you run to tell the others? And have you followed him along with everyone else? Following him where he's going into the world. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I want to to close with a song. And just give that invitation for anyone who's here. Some of you were dreading coming to church on Easter morning because you thought you were going to get the hard sell. This isn't a hard sell. (laughs) This is an invitation. 
This is an invitation to say, if this could really be true, come. Come and see for yourself. If you desire to see him for yourself, but you find yourself doubting this morning, you can just talk to God and say something like this. God, if you're really there, show me. And go look into it. And I trust, I believe that God will speak to you because that's what he's done for me. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I've heard this and, and I'm, I'm sensing that invitation. I actually want to respond. I, I want to have this kind of life. I'm ready to follow Jesus. Well, you can do the same thing. You can talk to him and just say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm sorry for how I've lived my life apart from you. I've tried to do things my own way. But Jesus, I, I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you, you really resurrected. And Jesus, if that's true, I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you. Come and make me a new person. Resurrect me, Jesus. Amen. And amen just means, yes, may it be so. <laughs> so, if you prayed that this morning, whether as a rededication or for the first time, come and talk to me. Come and talk to anyone from the church, but, but go tell someone like the angel said, go tell someone. Because as soon as you do that, you become part of a family and we're following him together. Would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to close with, with a, a final song. Jesus, we thank you for this incredible news. Thank you, Lord, that in you, death is not the end, but we look forward to a glorious resurrection. Lord, would we live our lives in light of that resurrection, in light of eternity, that the people that we live and live among and talk to are everlasting beings with whom we will share eternity in Christ. Lord, would your power fill our hearts and lives, transform us with that resurrection power and fill us with purpose, Lord, the joy of everything that that means so much, Lord, that we would be driven to tell others and to go into all the world and bring people into that same joy. We ask you this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word JESUS to 610-816-6062.